to Rivers Fog, a podcast dedicated to navigating and clearing the hazy fog of grief by sharing inspirational, raw, beautiful, and sometimes humorous stories. Gather and share stories from real people. Some guests are nationally recognized speakers and authors, as well as guests who may be your neighbors. Grief is beyond just a death. It's any form of loss. This podcast does not provide medical or therapy advice, but rather creates opportunities to transform the way we think and talk about grief and the importance of recognizing our daily griefs. Rivers Fog is brought to you by What Matters Most Evansville, Inc. with the co-founders and host, Jim and Andrea, who simply want to create ripples in the water in your community so you can live well and die well because you can grieve well all the losses. We plan dropping new episodes every Wednesday. Transcripts available upon request. To learn more about us and support us, be sure to check us out on Facebook and Patreon. See show notes for further details. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have Ms. Tara Powell and Sabrina Newton from Professional Grief Solutions, based out of here in Evansville, Indiana. 
And Tara, we've known each other. I met you at a conference that I was involved in several years ago. And we've since talked, you know, especially more here this last year. And I knew when I met you that we would somehow stay connected. And I didn't know, I, I, it didn't, we, we both talked, it didn't feel like within the jobs that we were both at at that time, but something different and bigger in different ways. And so here we are hopeful to make some more ripples in the water to help more people understand what grief is, especially professionals that are out there on the front lines these days in the midst of this pandemic. Um, and so thank you for taking the time to, to sit with us today and just kind of share parts of your stories and some of the works that you're doing here, because I know there has been multiple grief journeys that you've been on throughout the years that have led you to today. That's right. um, so thank you again. Glad to be here. You know, to kind of start off with um, both of you ladies, to maybe kind of give some insight of what kind of led you to today and the work you're doing. And you can go back as far as, as you'd like or start anywhere. I know that there's been a lot of pivotal moments in your world. And so just kind of curious, what, what made you wanna start a professional grief solutions? And just for those unaware of their company that started this year, is that correct, Tara? Yes. Yes. And so maybe maybe before I have you answer that question, maybe share a little bit about what this company focuses on and then we'll kind of we'll do a little reverse engineering there. I'm gonna let Sabrina share that piece because I wanna make sure that she's got some you know time to talk. And um, some of this, I think that I'll have to answer. So why don't you take the floor? Well, it all started with a hamburger. Really? I love a um, good one, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, good, a good one. No, really. Um, Tara is, uh, at the time I, I met her, we had shared on a team um, called Kairos Outside, which is a ministry to women who have loved ones who are incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And so just as, as that team built, um, uh, we, we didn't really know each other that, that well, um, I was leading worship and she was, um, one of the spiritual advisors on that team. Um, and I think she had to step out because of a grief situation. <laughs> That's right. I'm right down to the very, you, you train for like six months. It's a big commitment. Yeah. And then come right down to the big finale. And I had to step out because of a um, grief personal. Yeah. 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 That, that was a, its own grief on top of the grief you were experiencing. I'm sure Tara. Well, you know, the funny thing is now I get it in hindsight, but that was probably five, seven years yeah. ago. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking why, why I knew I was supposed to do this, you know, this Kairos thing. Why did I go through six months and then not be able to do, I don't understand this God. Why did you even have me get involved? And then, you know, leading up to the ministry. Yeah, fast forward five or however many years it was, um, Tara had uh, felt like she was supposed to lead the, a ladies retreat. And, you know, you have a retreat, you got to have music. So um, 
she reached out to me and uh, said, hey, let's meet at Brew Burger. So there's the hamburger connection. Um, and I'm going to stop you there okay. for a second because what's interesting is um, the conference at first was for healthcare professionals. Um, oh, I yeah, I was working in a long-term care facility and um, watching just nurses and CNAs and um, activities, you know, you name it, just heavy and burdened. And uh, my role there was as a chaplain. So um, not only was I there to spiritually care for the residents, but I was also caring emotionally for them and their families mm -hmm. and the staff and just trying to find a way to connect to them and thinking, you know what would be awesome? A two, three day retreat where they can go away and get that paid for. And the theme was restoration and just restore themselves um, so that they can go back and be refreshed. Um, my, my boss was interested, but we couldn't get the funding and the backing. So it just kind of went to the mm -hmm. back burner, but it was too good of a, um, I don't want to say this. I don't want to say too good of an idea, like to pat myself on the back, but I felt like it was still so needed. needed. Yeah. So needed. I decided to do a women's conference and then invite some of the healthcare and hoping that they would um, come along. So that's, it was interesting that that's where we started. Yeah. So, so we had lunch and we talked about a retreat. I mean, it just started with that one retreat and now it's like yeah. a ministry and a business. Yeah. So, and um, yeah. And I said, Sabrina was very brave because I said to her, listen, this is what I have on my heart. This is the teaching topics. This is what I see. But I mean, I know you're a, a worship leader and I don't know if I have money to pay you for your time, I will, but I really don't know. We may have two women, we may have 200. And she very willingly said, I'm all in for whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was great. I mean, it was, I, of course, you know, you're just thinking, oh, it's this one retreat and it'll be over, you know, but little did I know. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's blossomed into the history as well as now, taking um, Tara's background and um, mine in marketing and just helping what her original thought was to truly help the helpers. Yeah, you know? getting, getting that message out that they are worthy of having that help and recognizing that there are unmet needs and in order for them to keep caring for people, and being the best nurse, CNA, whatever their role is. I, I do want to ask Sabrina, so are there any particular instruments that you play? You, you mentioned, you know, worship leader. I don't know what all that means in your world. Is there any, are you vocal or piano or drums? I was just curious what, <laughs> what kind of music you were going to bring to these retreats. Well, I'm, I primarily am a singer, but I do play guitar. And mm -hmm. I am like the worst flute player on the planet. Worst so, player. Yeah, yeah. So, but but guitar is my primary instrument, so I can accompany and um, uh, yeah. So it's a pretty easy instrument to pick up. Too. Yeah, she's from Nashville and has quite a impressive background in Nashville. Um, I was a session singer and I worked in the music business for about twenty years. So. Okay. I lived in Nashville for ten years. That's totally off the topic. It doesn't need to go on this conversation. Did but you? I moved to Evansville. <laughs> I moved to Evansville from Nashville. Did you? I did too, because I fell in love with a Hoosier. 
Oh, yeah. He fell in love with the Hoosier, and that's me. And now he doesn't want to leave Evansville. <laughs> they, you know, we, Joe and I, we were talking that, you know, they, he didn't really like Evansville at first. They were supposed to shortstop, and now they don't want to leave Evansville. Yeah. Um, you know, I would like to take some credit for that because we're going to keep making some ripples here in the water. Because <laughs> if this didn't get started and didn't so going so well, I would still be trying to figure out how to get out of town. Yeah, well, I wanted to get the heck out of town. I hated Evansville, and which is a whole other thing about grief, right? And like that kind of will circle back to some of the conversations we've had previously. Is I didn't know that I was grieving, right? Yeah. I came here and it's like, wait a minute, really? This is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and, Till one day when my daughter, my daughter who at the time was in eighth grade, and she one day she just said, Dad, I'm really sad. I miss Nashville. And I finally, after six months of saying, I'm a big, strong dad, you know, I got to take mm-hmm. care of her. And I finally just broke down and said, you know, I miss it too. Like, and, and isn't that kind of the whole theme of a lot of what our conversations have been yeah. and what we're trying to get at is like, absolutely. You, until I named that grief, I didn't even yeah. know that I was grieving. Mm-hmm. Grief is loss, loss of anything. It can be the loss of, I mean, I feel like my daughter is 16 and she's grieving the fact that she's not able to go to school and see her friends. Grief of normalcy, you know, um, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's different. The world is different. So it's not you, you know, it's not to look in and say something's wrong with me. It's just dealing with what is, let's just call it what it is. And it's hard and it's a struggle and we'll get through it. But yeah, of course you're sad, you're frustrated, you're, you know, there's a lot of emotions that go into that. And, you know, even it's hard sometimes as, as a parent or a family member to not like minimize somebody's grief. Cause you want to say, I promise in 10 years, like you'll look back at this and, you know, see how much you've moved forward yeah. and gone over it. But at the same time, we do that as professionals. We just, we don't acknowledge and stop and recognize the level of intense grief at that moment. And we sweep it under the rug until the next patient comes until the next chart has to be done. Yeah. And so you were sharing with Sabrina, like, Hey, like I'm sharing with you, not just this small little retreat, but like, I have a vision. You have this message that you want her to market in a way of speaking to people's spirits of how do we restore you and your self-care for this energy you put out there you know there's that term you can't serve from an empty vessel how do we recharge you rejuvenate right. you so you can keep being the best doctor the best nurse the best cna um the best chaplain whatever your role is there and so you've you've had this calling for several years it sounds like yes for a long time it's been over 20 years really but i didn't know what it looked like or what it was i couldn't name it Yes. Yeah. Totally. I, I understand that. And so before the burger, was there any, any, (laughs) any, any things that kind of, um, you guys experienced along your life journeys that kept kind of leading you into leaning into grief and absolutely whether that be things you witnessed or experienced. Yes, I was born in December. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> hey, went <laughs> all the way back. Oh, girl, there's grief from. Whew, I, I. Mm-hmm. No, I'm. That was just a you know a little uh, tension breaker there. 
Um, actually, uh, you know, in 1996, um, my son Jacob died, and it was a tragic accident, um, car accident. How old was he? He was five months old at the time, and um, brakes went out of my car. Just one of those things that you cannot, I still don't quite understand. Um, it was a newer car. It was a brand new car, really, so it shouldn't have happened, um, but it did. And my husband and I were, you know, in our young 20s, we just had, you know, we've been married a few years and now we have this beautiful baby and starting our family and grief just came and took over. And, um, you know, that experience, I really felt like I just wanted to go to sleep and not wake up. Um, you know, it, it was these, not necessarily was I making a plan for suicide, I just wanted it to be over, you know? I just did not want to face each and every day. And um, I slept a lot, I ate a lot. That was my coping style, which is not good, <laughs> but it is what it is. It is what it is. And um, I know that my family was very worried about me. Um, I dyed my hair black, and um, which was also not the best move. However, um, you do what you have to do and you kind of just try to do whatever works. And um, I was a working mom before, you know, this happened and I never went back to work. And my husband said, we are not going back to our home. He thought he was protecting me. And by saying, you know, we're just not going back to our home because that's where all the memories are. And so we started over somewhere else. And let me just say, you know, there's a reason why they tell you not to make big decisions in that first year, because, um, you know, he made the decision and um, he did it out of trying to protect me, but the pain just follows you. Yeah. And you have to deal with it anyways. It's just, it's just walls and decorations. That's, you know, you have to unpack it at some point. I, I kind of have yeah. discovered grief is that way. Grief never goes away. It just changes forms, presentations, yes, how it exactly. manifests within yourself, physically, mentally, emotionally. And so you're in these new four walls, but the grief is still there. Oh yeah. It's still there. It follows you. You still got to deal with the same things. Um, and honestly, when he made the suggestion, I just didn't care. I really just, I was so, I, yes, I was just so overcome and being suffocated with grief that had he said, we're going to live on the streets in a cardboard box, I would have been okay with that. And that's not an exaggeration. I just did not care. And um, I really was concerned that my marriage would survive that loss. Um, we'd had a family member that was had lost a baby um, when I was four years old and they divorced right afterwards. And so I guess I just had that negative um, history that was speaking to me. And um, so it was a challenge, but we, we made the decision that we're getting through this, we're getting through this together, no matter what. And so it was a lot of communication, a lot of holding each other, a lot of respecting where each other was because 
you both grew differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were both uh, Christians and our faith was absolutely just our anchor. In fact, um, you know, when I think about my grief journey now, I have one specific picture that I see that says how we got through it. And that is the day that we had his funeral at the graveside service. The funeral was over and the family all went to this little building next to the church to have dinner. Like most people do, you know, you have a little dinner afterwards. My husband and I walked hand in hand back to the church, went in the church and just knelt on the floor and just cried and put our pain down and said, Lord, this is bigger than both of us. We don't know how we're going to do it. We don't know what's what's around the bend. We just know it's going to be awful. And we're just laying it down and just asking you to be there and hold us together. And um, we did. And I'm very grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that piece. But, um, you know, it took a long time. It took a long time. Um, and my husband, you know, he grieves differently. So he dove into work and just trying to protect and try to, you know, be the provider and then come home and try to hold his wife who's falling apart. And eventually one day I felt his presence there. I didn't see it, didn't hear him, but I just felt a loving, comforting presence that one day it's going to be okay. And, um, and I... Yeah, that was pretty, I don't want to cut you off, but I feel like that's kind of what you're, what you've shared wanting to strive to do, where you want others to feel the presence of some type of comfort, that there is hope for all these sequential losses along their journeys as, as healthcare providers, as humans, as family members, as mothers and daughters, because we know statistically the death of a child is actually one of the top five reasons for a divorce well and to be perfectly honest with you um i actually in the throes of my grief before this situation happened with the lord um asked my husband to leave me i had just thought i'm not getting better and i'm miserable and i started to feel sorry for him and i thought you know what he can start over he can remarry, he can have children. And I don't know that I can go on. I don't know that I can have children and I'm just gonna be this mess forever. And he didn't sign up for that. And so um, I did approach him um, and my husband and I have been together since we were 14 years old. So we never dated anybody else. It's always just been us. So that was a pretty big deal to come to that point, but that's how desperate I was. That's how dark, I, you know, the place I was in. And he said, I almost lost you once. I will never do it again. And Mm -hmm. so I thought, okay, I got to fight and try to get better. So, um, but that moment with the Lord gave me some hope. And that conversation with him gave me hope. And you're right. That's what I want to convey is, you know, grief is raw and hard Mm -hmm. and um, it will probably be the worst thing you ever go through, but there's hope. There is hope and there is healing. Well, and- you know, I think too, the, the part of the, 
the tragedy is I had, so my mom came from a family, Irish Catholic family, seven or eight kids. And her mom saw for the first, her mom saw her youngest child die. And then three or four more of her own kids die. So I think there's there's something important to see. Like, wait, this is the wrong order, right? Yes, exactly. Your kids are supposed to see you die. And so, you know, and at five, like you just had the child, but, you know, at any age, it's hard, uh, but just thinking, oh, wait a minute, I didn't even get a chance to know this child. Like there's there's great tragedy in, in just that, like, you're not supposed to see your kid die. That's not how it's supposed to be. It's not right? the natural And again, word. it goes back to like the, the anger and the God, where are you and all this stuff. Like, wait a minute, this, right? And that's the grief thing that we don't want to, we don't want to deal with that. It's just wrong. It's not supposed to happen that way instead of saying diving into, or I don't know if diving into it's the right word, but you know, just engaging with it and not, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, like you said, like you had to move out of the house. Well, great. That's move out of the house. That still Change, doesn't, that still doesn't deal with the, the inner issue. Sure, we did some things right and we did some things wrong, and most people will. Right. Um, you know, we didn't have any. Um, this was back before we had um, computers. <laughs> yeah, you and, couldn't uh, Google how yeah. to cope with this grief. Like, right. And I didn't know especially the grief of a child. I mean, right. And I didn't know anybody who went through it except for a family member, and he was already deceased. So there was no even going back to that. Um, and that wasn't a, you know, a really great, I mean, I loved him, but he lost his child, got a divorce and became an alcoholic because he couldn't deal with it. Yeah. Um, and my minister wasn't equipped to, he was a great man who loved the Lord, but he wasn't equipped for my pain. And my friends at the time were all dealing with deaths of great grandparents. <laughs> so they couldn't relate. And um, yeah, you're right that, you know, I was lifelined in the accident. So uh, immediately my first thought was, why not me? Should have been me, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, but, you know, what I feel like was one of the greatest truths I gained in it was that um, in Ecclesiastics, it says that there's a time and purpose for everything under heaven. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. So I came to this place where it was, I'm coming to a head with my faith. Okay, I either believe this or I don't. And I'm going to make that decision right now. I can't just pull out the pieces I like that comfort me and push back the things that I don't like yeah. because that's, I don't like the way they say it. To do. <laughs> yeah. And so I decided this is truth and I believe it. So if that's true, my son Jacob lived his life. I don't like it. Wow. But I think that's, that's huge. That's huge too, Tara, because when people start to talk about their God, whether it's God, Jesus, God, or whatever God, all of a sudden, well, it's okay and he's going to fix it. Or I'm just not going to deal with it. I'm angry. Maybe talk about that, those, that kind of uh, paradox that comes into play. And I'll kind of, I'll kind of follow with that, you know, because I'm sure people said things with good intentions during your grieving process of this is all part of God's plan. That is not comforting when you lose a child. Even no. if it's true, it's still yeah. not what you, you know? need to hear and, and, exactly. and even, you know, I, you know, at one point when you shared about just, you know, I, I couldn't get up. Uh, it was hard to work. It was hard to do these things. You know, one of our recent interviews with Andrea Grace Phillips spoke about I, I don't want the powers to be or, or whatever you to get a two for one deal of losing yourself because of already having a loss. 
and that grief consuming and taking your own life, whether it be by suicide or just losing your ability to engage in life and restore yourself. So you can kind of live on his legacy through your own work, your own personal relationships and connection and, and your own health, your, your own health journey, which kind of has led you to being, not to say led you to our podcast, but led you to your journey here. And we just happen to be a little side note, you know, on your journey and kind of what I think there's crossroads that you go through and depending on how you make the decisions in the crossroads is really how, where you come out. So Mm -hmm. I feel like the conversation with my husband was one crossroads. And, you know, when he told me what he did, that he was in it, regardless of what it looked like, it was like, okay, well, I am too. Let's, let's fight for this, whatever it takes. And then when I felt like the Lord showed up and comforted me in that place, it was like, okay, he's giving me hope. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know what it's going to look like or feel like or when, but there is hope. And then, you know, um, when I got to that point where I just came to a head with my faith and thought, okay, I either believe it or I don't. And I chose to believe it. And if I believe it, then my son was supposed to live five months old. And I'm not speaking for other people's grief journey. So they may, this may not be their truth for them, but this was for me. And it was huge. Mm-hmm. If he was only supposed to live five months old. And if there was going to be this tragic accident, because there has to be a way for the Lord to call him home. You know, death is different for everybody, but we all die, mm-hmm. right? So it's the great equalizer. And I embraced truth and thought, okay, if that's the way it was going to be, I'm grateful I got to be his mother. It was worth the pain. Mm -hmm. And pain has purpose. And I just watched this movie with Jim Carrey the other day. And it was such a strange movie, but it was about, you know, like people going through different difficult times and they could go to this doctor and and he would erase their memory of that person. Mm. And I thought, you know, that's really, I could, I was seeing it through the eyes of grief. Mm-hmm. Most of us would never do that. I don't think any of us would as hard and painful as, and you have to carry on that process the rest of your life. You still would not go back and say, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, for, you know, for, for people that have children or if you or if you're an adult and you've ever watched the movie Frozen, you know, when they erased the memories of Elsa's powers for Anna when she's a child and then all of the unnecessary, I mean, so you said I was watching it through the eyes of grief and something that I think has gelled Jim and I and all these new relationships, including with you, Tara, is that when something clicks about that grief doesn't have to be a bad or taboo subject that when we lean into the discomfort where we can, you know, hold space for that, for that, you know, ambiguity, that, that, that tension, that freaking miserable pain. When we hold that space, we kind of start seeing life through the lens of grief and not a morbid way, but just recognizing different types of losses. And, you know, I, Part of me, I have to almost tell myself, Andrew, stop talking. I'll go off on this big tangent of, of the grief and Disney movies. 
but anytime I watch a Disney movie with my child, oh, yeah, I, they're see, sad, aren't they? <laughs> I see the, I see the grief. And like, I think about, you know, the movie frozen and just all the unnecessary complicated grief and pain that went on because she had to shove it down. Literally. You know I mean? She sang songs about holding yeah. it in and then, you know, don't let people see, be the good girl that you're always supposed to be because sharing her grief was a bad thing. And the grief of not being able to be herself and the grief of just the relationship because of her own powers and gifts. And then finally, when she let it go, her, her talents, her beauties, her passion, her fulfillments, her relationships. And here I go. So I can get on you. You, you want to really see me go and get me on the movie Moana, but that's a whole other day. Um, well, you know, but in a way that <laughs> I, I appreciate that too, though, because most of our society is running the other way and trying mm -hmm. to protect us from grief. But really in our movies, there's so many themes yeah. of death and dying. And I find that well, so yeah. interesting. Almost every movie has some kind of death and grief in it. Like in every TV yeah. show, like everything does. Yeah. Isn't it so ironic? And then nobody wants to talk about it, but it's all over TV. But they're all watching it. They're obsessed with it. And I yeah. think that, you know, one thing that I um, decided for myself to kind of be a mantra is that I want truth, no matter what it feels like. Um, I want to embrace the truth. And when you embrace the truth, you get the pain with it. But yeah. I believe that you can't know joy unless you know suffering. Right. And it really, in every moment in our life, we have both joy and suffering there. It's present. Yeah. It's just a matter of how much of each that we get. And, you know, when raising, you know, we did... Thankfully, we went on to have other children and to have a happy, healthy marriage. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, but, you know, we, Jacob was a part of our household. Yeah. Um, and I had two miscarriages in the midst of my kiddos too. And so I, there was a point where I felt like I'm never going to be able to hang on to these babies, you know? Um, but we have taught our children grief is a part of, every day just like everything else is so when they were old enough to ask questions they got answers yeah. and you know his picture hangs on the wall like the rest of the kids so he's part of us there's not a shrine but he's part of us and he's part of our every day in a way and they have all grieved even though they've never met him they've all had periods mm -hmm. of grief related to their brother which was so interesting and you know during that time i read everything i could get my hands on that had to do with death and dying with near-death experiences uh, reading the bible i wanted to know everything he that my son experienced the more that i learned the more truth that i had under my belt the more peace i became well, you know, it's so interesting yeah. that you bring that whole concept up of your children who never met him because I, my parents' first child was stillborn. He was born shortly after death, but they used to always, my dad always talked about John Patrick. They always talked about it, right? Like it was just like, it was a normal thing. And here, right. so it, and when we had our first son, I had made a suggestion of naming, I wanted to name our son after him because that was just a part of, it was like, it, I never met him or anything. And I do, and I think about the sadness of, like probably what your kids have the said is I never got to meet my brother. Yeah. And, and there is that, even though I, I never saw him, I never knew him. I didn't go through his death or anything, but there is, there is always been like a, Oh, 
because my dad and mom didn't just, you know, it wasn't just like he never was born or anything. Like they talked about, right. they had, they have him buried right between where, well, my dad's dead. So his, he's in his cemetery plot. And then my mom's, they have it, you know, all bought. And then they put him right between them. So it's this idea. And again, I think that goes back to a while, whatever you're talking about, all of the, what has become important to you and us also is that there's all these grief things that we don't name as grief. Um, and and it's, it's just so important in our culture that we don't do that. And then, so that, you know, this like leads me into another question about, cause you work a lot with professionals and they're seeing people die all the time. So I'm just wondering when you see that, are they, are they saying, oh my gosh, I, where did, cause that's gotta be, that's just a tricky thing when you're seeing people die all the time. Right. So how does, what is the interaction that you see? Like when you work with them, are they just like, no, I can't deal with it or I'm not supposed to, are they open to, okay, I need to deal with this. Like how, tell us about when you, in your interactions with professionals, what does that look like? Okay. Well, I think I'm going to, I'm going to use the restroom. Feel free to talk. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt, but I, potty break. this is going to be good. Okay. So I'm going to take a potty break. You are welcome to answer. Cause it's still recording. Obviously I'll cut this part out of me. I'm like, okay, I don't want to enter. Yes. I don't want to go off in the weeds, but should I talk about how I got into that professional piece before I answer that? Or does it matter? Because well, Jim, in the kindest way, that was a, a strain of thoughts and questions that kind of like suddenly then got to one thing. Um, That's why I asked it as far as a listener. Yes. Um, so for the listeners, were you wanting her to answer more about when she sees, when she's working with professionals and she sees them dealing with that grief kind of, are they wanting to avoid it? Are they, yeah, I guess are, they not... are they aware? Maybe even, are they even aware of the grief? I think that's maybe yeah. a place to yeah, start. I got a question. I just didn't know if I needed to give, like jump mm -hmm. ahead and tell how I worked with professionals. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. That was probably talking yes. about my personal yeah, And maybe kind of, as you kept seeing different, you know, various grief journeys and the different types of losses that went along, even on your own journey of, it wasn't just, you know, maybe the anniversary or birthdays, but also just when you would, whatever you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but different types. I didn't know of if I needed to fast forward to the front. Well, so give us the, so yeah, maybe you're right. Kind of give us the context of your work and then how, then what you see as you, so here's, here's what I do. And then here's what I see. Like, so good, bad, <laughs> indifferent, the responses, the reactions that you get, I'm sure there's gotta be a million different things that you see all the time. So, oh, so absolutely. And yeah, yeah, I'll try to, yeah. Um, it's a good thing you guys can edit out some of my long conversations. Sometimes these things are hard to answer in short because oh, totally no is. Yeah, totally. that matter. Um, right. So, you know, once my children um, all started going to school, I made, my husband was really encouraging me to go back to um, college and to get a degree because I'd been a stay-at-home mom for, you know, uh, 13 years. And he felt like, especially because of what the grief, um, it dented my armor. The grief, you know, left marks. And he said, you know, if you go back to school, he said, I don't even care if you use your degree. He said, it will help you to have more confidence and be a more well-rounded person. So study whatever you want. And 
that was such a gift because number one, I was a stay-at-home mom. We didn't have a ton of money, so it was going to be an expense. And he's saying, it's okay if we don't have this great outcome from it, but he took the pressure away. So I started to pray and really think about what I wanted. And I decided I wanted to help people. Um, I wanted to, I was considering going into biblical counseling at the time. So I started going to seminary and um, I transferred to um, more closer to home uh, a college. I was doing everything online because the kids were little and um, their program, you have to get your divinity degree before you can get your counseling degree. So there was a change there. So I took the divinity courses, but I minored in all the counseling courses, like trauma courses. And during that time, my husband's grandmother became ill. She went into hospice. That was the first time I'd ever heard of hospice. It was an inpatient hospice in Columbus, Indiana. That, and I walked in and we spent time with her and the chaplain came in and he spent an hour and he didn't talk about her diagnosis. He didn't talk about things that I thought he would talk about or I'd heard in hospital settings. He just wanted to know about her and the things that she cared about. And he let her talk about her family and her history and the farm. And I just thought, I was so intrigued. And when we left that hospice that day, I told my husband, I think I know what I want to do. Huh. I don't know if my degree will apply, but I want to do hospice. And he said, okay, when we get home, I want you to call every hospice in town and find out what it takes. Well, I didn't do it. <laughs> and grandma <laughs> passed away. And I love the man, but I don't always listen to him. <laughs> and uh, grandma died and, you know, we went several months past and then I had a dream. And in the dream, I was in a gymnasium and my husband brought to me a young man that was dying. And he said, he needs your help. And I said, I don't know what to do. And he said, yes, you do. And then he left. And then he brought me a baby and put it in my arms. And he said, he's dying. He needs you. And I said, but I don't know what to do. And I was starting to panic. And he said, you do know what to do. And I talked to them and loved on them and, you know, sang songs and told them about heaven. And they both passed away. And when I woke up, I thought, okay. We're not wasting any more time. This is a direct calling. And I got on the phone and called every hospice in town. I got an internship through one of the hospices. And I, you know, even though I had this passion to help folks, um, I didn't know if I could really do it when the rubber met the road. And um, I fell in love. It was like instant. It fit like a glove. And um, I was passionate about walking that last stretch of the mile with folks and helping them to resolve what they needed to resolve and to find the peace that they needed to have. Um, what I did not expect was watching the people that worked alongside me grieving. Yeah. And, um, you know, immediately the kind of person I am, I'm like, okay, now what's up with this? And what can we do about it? Because nobody ever talked about this. Yeah, no one prepared you for that. We have a healthcare culture that doesn't support caring for those that are caring. And yeah, I, it just seemed crazy to me. So I went back. I was still in school at the time. I was in my last year 
And I went to the dean of the, of the uh, college and I said, do you have any classes on death and dying? And he said, no. And I said, what? I mean, of anything that a pastor or a chaplain or, you know, anything that a minister is going to do, they're going to deal with death. Yeah. And he said, well, I guess Christians just don't have a problem with death. And I thought, <laughs> everybody has a problem with death. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to laugh so hard at that, but like, wow. Yeah. But that's where my passion grew because I thought, no, this mm -mm. is wrong. There needs to be education for this. There needs to be, we need to talk about this. I like to talk about the untalkable subjects. That's just, I'm weird that way. And um, so, and I had my own experience of having a uh, 12 year old that I took care of. And, um, you know, I, I really, I had to check my own boundaries. Is this going to be okay? Am I going to be able to handle this? And because I spent a lot of time with the mom and that was really close to home, but you know, everything was okay. Every, you know, I was able to um, keep my boundaries and I was handling it well and felt like I was able to give what I needed to, to the family until he died. And he happened to die on the anniversary of my son's death. Whoa. Wow. So here we are in a meeting and I find out about this and I start crying and not able to stop. I mean, it was like the floodgates. Uh -huh. And I went in the other room and I, you know, got myself together. And then, um, you know, at this time I was an employee of the hospice that I was interning for. And I was told that I needed to go to the visitation, the, not the visitation, but be there when the family sees him for the first time, because that's when they would need me the most. Mm. And I said, I don't feel comfortable doing that. That's a private moment. I feel like, you know, you need to be invited to that. Um, I'm happy to go to the service, but not that. And I was told that do that or nothing at all. Wow. And I just prayed and prayed from and prayed people who had a lot of training and experience with grief. <laughs> yeah, but here was the thing: I was faced with this. My emotions were not about. I mean, it was a little bit about the boy, but it was a little bit about my son. That's not fair to walk into that place with my own big baggage mixed with her grief was not acceptable in my mind as a professional. So I uh, did not do what I was told. <laughs> um, that takes real insight, Tara. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, really. I yeah. decided to know. Well, yeah, that's true. And I think my grief journey, that's what I tell people though. The grief journey, um, the one thing I did right was I allowed myself to feel whatever I felt when Jacob died. So if I had a bad day, I let myself grieve. If I had a good day, I tried to get things done. But I just let myself be okay not being okay and just to work through it. Um, I made a lot of mistakes, but that was one thing I did right. And I feel like that journey, I learned who Tara was. I, you know, I got, cause I got down to the pit of who Tara was. Mm -hmm. um, so, 
saying that I did show up at the visitation, but I did not go in with the mom when she was seeing him for the first time. It wasn't appropriate. And so that was another aspect of helping the helper. They need to understand that their junk is going to mix in with other people's pain. And you have to be self-aware and you have to be, um, you have to give yourself permission to say, here's my boundary. Yeah. And that know that it's going to be accepted from your the people you work with and your administrator, that you don't do that all the time. You don't use it as an excuse, but we're all going to have situations that pierce us and it's not appropriate for us to be involved. You know, since I've been working with Tara, one of her, one of her greatest assets is to be able to give people practical helps. Like when they're in the moment of giving them a tool, to help them start breathing again, to, to get through the stress, to get through that moment of severe emotional upheaval. Yeah. And um, I think that's just a tremendous asset that Tara well, brings. I think that's a, a really important thing is because, you know, initially a lot of people, we just, you just want to give the answer, right? You want to give the right thing when what they need is a simple tool to get them to the and it's not even a final place. That's not the right, Just you know, but next, to, to make it to breath. the next day, yeah, to the next breath. And we even had a previous podcast where um, Andrea, who we were interviewing, was going through something with her son. And she said he was going to kill himself. And he, she said, give me 18 more hours. I'll be with you in 18 hours, right? It wasn't like, oh, life's all going to be good and it'll all be better. It was just, let me give you this thing for now. So I think what, you, what you're saying right there is so, so, so important that people don't think about is you are helping people to get a tool in the tool chest. Yeah, and I think what's helped me really connect with people is exactly what you just said. Um, to say to them, what you're feeling right now, whatever it is, is okay. Yeah. We're not, I'm not gonna try to fix it. Yeah. We're, not gonna, we're not gonna shove it under the rug. We're not gonna try to make it look pretty. We are just going to be here. And if, if necessary, I'll hold you while you cry. But if we feel this and we can work through this, then you're going to be better, you know, down the road. We don't want to avoid this. And that goes from the individual who's grieving to the professional who's grieving. You know, acknowledgement is huge. Acknowledge this hurts. You know, watching people die day in and day out, it hurts. Um, you're going to have, you're going to have an emotional reaction to that. I mean, most people get into healthcare because, they want to help then yeah. they're there and they're helping and they expect to not be emotionally moved by that right. and well, there's so, a piece of what you said too like you give people permission right because isn't that a lot of yeah. times we don't want to feel we don't want to grieve but as soon as somebody says this is okay like i've been given permission to yeah to be sad to be whatever and so that's a piece of what you're doing without saying that or having it like you know structure i think you're giving people you're saying you're giving them permission that they they don't know how to ask for it, but you're just saying right. you're. Well, and grief has to be witnessed in order to heal wholly. And you're providing them that safe space to at least allow their grief and their suffering to be witnessed, whether they, whatever they do with it outside of your conversation, even just being heard to process that this really sucks. Um, 
I was close to that patient or I'm really grieving the fact that I loved working with this doctor, but he joined a different practice. Even those relationships that people have on their professional journey while caring for people. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious over the years, what you have observed or noticed in professionals who don't have either the self-awareness of their own grief or don't take the opportunity to just pause, acknowledge, be present, or maybe work on some healing and self-care. What do you notice about those professionals? Because I know that's, if I had to guess, you didn't go into this work because I'm watching all these professionals grieve so well and do such a great job. So I'm curious what you've witnessed over the years when people don't grieve and I don't want to say properly because there's no right or wrong, but when they don't take the time to grieve how they need to grieve to, to help heal and be the best caregiver. What do you notice? I am so time? glad you asked that question. <laughs> um, I am. I just feel like it's hitting the nail on the head. Okay. Um, so this probably will not be a real short answer. Um, right. I have noticed everything from, um, I have had countless nurses, CNAs, you name it, I don't want to leave out any specific group, come into my office because they know it's a safe place, shut the door, and collapse. I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. I'm looking for jobs. And the truth is jumping ship is not going to help. Right. Yeah, we already it's learned that earlier. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's kind of like when we moved houses. You're just, I mean, eventually all that baggage is just going to be right there for you to unpack again. So um, do yourself a favor, you know, and, and just unpack it now. So, but they are just, you know, and usually it's after a span of a lot of deaths or a lot of stress, which in healthcare is, it's ongoing. And it's, I can't even imagine COVID right now. I mean, I can't. Um, lack of control in yeah. so many aspects of their job, even just, yeah. I have to keep this mask on, but I feel like I'm suffocating at certain moments right. throughout the day, literally and, you know, metaphorically. Yes. And so I think one of the true tragedies is people who leave their calling, their true calling, not just their profession, but their calling because they don't handle their grief. Whereas if they acknowledge their grief and work through it each time, it's still going to be, it's just one of the challenges you deal with, but you're going to actually become better at your job. It's like one of those mysteries that nobody like takes the time to uncover. You're actually going to be more effective and better at your job because you can, you learn how to handle it and you have the tools you need. Yeah. Um, you're still going to grieve, but you're going to grieve in a healthier, better way, which is acknowledging it. And one of the saddest situations was one of the nurses I worked with, who was one of the most compassionate, killed herself. And, mm. um, you know, I, I cannot say why she did, but I know that in healthcare, that's not that rare, you know, for a doctor mm. or a nurse and I find that such a tragedy because they had so much to give. And if they did the work that they put into their patients on themselves, um, you know, a lot of caregivers, I think, lack the boundaries for themselves. Yeah. Because they just want to help other people. So all they focus on is other people. 
Whereas if you really truly want to be a help to others, you have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of your own junk so yeah. that you bring a good, healthy space to the patient or their families. Yeah. Um, you know, that desire to help is great. But unless you're operating on all cylinders yourself, it's just going to make things messier and more complicated. So, so when you introduce that idea or that thought to people, what do you get pushback? Are they relieved? Probably maybe some of both. Like what happens once you start to kind of challenge people to deal with that? Both. But I find that the hardest people to work with is, and to get them to agree that this is what they're dealing with is the healthcare. I mean, they'll tell families, you have to take care of yourself if you want to take care of them, but they're not doing it themselves. They're not eating. They're barely going. I mean, they're whole, they're not going to the bathroom when they need to go to the bathroom. They're oh, yeah, not. They're the worst. <laughs> yeah, they're not taking time for their family. They're not doing their hobbies. They're not enjoying the, you know, the sun rising. And one thing that I have said time and time again, working in these high loss environments is, What's the point? If you're not enjoying your own life, what is the point in trying yeah. to help other people have quality of life? You know, you have to be willing to take that prescription yourself. Yeah. And um, it's just, it's just one of those things that really frustrates me and makes me sad because I know that there's a better way to do this. And, yeah. you know, one of the long-term facilities I worked at, we started doing the um, end of life. We did the procession. So after the death, we allowed the staff to have a moment, a moment of silence, a moment of reflection. And it's small in the grand scheme of what they could do for their grief, but it was something. And it was telling them that this is okay. And it allowed them to stop their job for, for five, seven seconds. minutes, whatever. <laughs> Even 60 and seconds. to acknowledge that somebody has just died. Somebody mm -hmm. that maybe you loved, somebody that's not family, that feels like family. Um, just to acknowledge that another human being has left this earth. Let's just take a moment. And it's mm -hmm. been so therapeutic for the staff. Um, they, you know, gave such great feedback. Um, the families appreciate it so much because yes. you tell these families that we care and this is not just a job, but that shows them, that really yeah. shows it to them. Right. And it allows our staff to say goodbye to the families and say goodbye to the, and the residents loved it. You know, we, mm -hmm. we enabled our residents to participate. We gave them the choice If they were out wandering the halls. We would say, Hey, you know, for example, Miss Jones just passed away. If you'd like, you can stay and pay respects with us, or if you'd like, you can go to your room. And I've only had at the, at the time that I'm not at this position anymore. I'm talking like it's in the present, but, um, I only had one patient the whole time that chose to go to their room. And a lot of times if I knew that the resident was close to the person that passed, I would go tell them and allow them to participate. And they appreciated that. <coughs> so much. And, you know, we, we displayed the obituaries in the hall so that they, the staff could read them and um, we acknowledged every death with a little heart in a shadow box. But it was little things that mm -hmm. maybe somebody else passing by don't quite get, but everything says it's okay. Yeah. You know, this is, this is a life 
and it's a life that's been lost and let's honor it and let's feel it. Yeah. You know, a, a few things, Tara, that, you know, it made me reflect upon, you know, a job that I had in the beginning when the team was small, we used to read the, the thank you cards from families after somebody passed away. And it was just kind of that, even just a one minute before a meeting. Yes. But then as the team grew kind of exponentially and there were more people and people had less time, it, it, it was to the point where people said they did not want to do it. And it, it was just, all that spoke to me was, you don't value grieving. And here we are trying to help these people through anticipatory grief because something that, and I feel like it was around maybe right before, around the time that I had met you um, and heard you speak several years ago, there was something that kind of elevated like a level in, in my own coping, you know, cause I've, I've kind of been naturally a quote on helper, whatever, whatever that, whatever that means to everybody. But it was something along the lines of my own needed self care because when we are always helping other people, but we don't take time to help ourselves, then really what that says is we're, we're pitying that person. Oh, poor you, you need help. I don't need help. And so that puts us in this like power above and better than, and you're, you're not worthy. You know, it, it puts in yeah. this line of, wait a minute, if I'm not doing this for myself, what does that really say? Does that say you're not good enough in order to not have to deal with it this way, even though it's a maladaptive coping? And so it really brings that playing level and our ability to connect, you know, intimately in professional ways, but just to be able to build that rapport in a more, you know, whole facet. Um, and that sounds kind of like what you're doing is we have to help these healthcare professionals to recognize, even if it's taking that two minutes just to acknowledge, maybe I never took care of the resident, maybe that maybe I never passed meds to them, but I saw them at mealtime or I saw them wave down the hall, just acknowledging that human that is not there because we know as healthcare professionals, bless their hearts, they're doing discharge papers and within 30 minutes, they might be doing admission paperwork in the same bed, the same office, or a doctor maybe has had a long-term relationship with a patient and the same day he, you know, <clears throat> the same day that he signs orders for a hospice admission paper, he doesn't even have time to process, wow, I've helped care for this woman or man for 30 plus years on their journey. I've walked with them side by side. I've connected them to specialties. And here I am now I'm handing them off to another healthcare professional at this very intimate time at the end of their life. And then the next, you know, five minutes later, you get a brand new patient doing a full assessment and not even having that time to just acknowledge, to take that breath, to process. And you wanting to hold that safe ground and encourage people to do that. And it's normal to feel your feels. Yeah. You well, know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a cheerleader here, so I don't want to keep, <laughs> I'm just like, no, I hear you. But you know, I think people know when you don't believe what you're telling. Yeah. So if you're not living it, you don't truly believe it. Yeah. I'm a therapist. Half the time I just get paid to, you know, to know if someone's a bullshitter or not. I'm like, 
I may, I may say that you're shitting me right now yeah. at this moment. Um, whether I choose to acknowledge it at the moment, I might let it surface in their own way. And we're going to challenge those thoughts because you're also trying to challenge them that they're a healthcare provider and how do they provide good healthcare for themselves? And right. calling them out on their BS yeah. at moments. Yeah, when you're telling so somebody to take care of yourself so you can take care of them, but yet, you know, you are showing up exhausted and look like you've been shot out of a cannon. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, you have to, you know, and that's one thing that, you know, as a wasn't taught that I have learned, I don't give advice that I haven't taken myself. Um, it's just a way I keep myself in check. And also when you speak the truth to people, they lean in and they listen. Yeah. And you can say this might not work for you, but there's always something we can learn from other people and we can glean something, even if it isn't the exact same protocol, we can glean something from it that teaches us. And just, even if it's just that this is okay, this is okay to, to feel this way. You know, I remember a patient that I got really close with and she passed on Christmas day and um, I got notified, you know, that she had passed, even though I wasn't on call. Um, and I cried for three hours. I went up, I left my family, went up to my room. I cried for three hours. No joke. This is, I'm not exaggerating. Um, usually my grief is not that extreme, but it, it, it was then. Um, and then I was able to go back to my family and I felt better. I still missed her and I still had to work through some things, but I allowed myself to do that, even though it was Christmas, because I knew if I just went downstairs and tried to suck it up, I was going to be half there. So I just it dealt with what I needed to deal with, you know, and when I shared that, the word with, in your body. <laughs> yeah. And when I shared that with some of my other colleagues, they were like, you need to not be getting so attached. And I'm like, well, I don't know how, I can't do my job without getting attached to people. I can't do my job without being all there and pressing in. Um, it's just not who I am, but I don't think any of us can. And if we are, you know, maybe that's the time you have to hang up your hat and don't want you, I don't want people to have to get there, you know? Yeah, there's, there's definitely different levels of, you know, healthy boundaries and things. But we also know sometimes when a loss occurs, when grief happens, it's connected and resurfaces so many different types of losses in our life that have nothing to do with the actual loss at that moment, but it, it connected and triggered maybe some other things like, you know, baking cookies and you're out of flour and somehow it's connected to the fact of another time that you made cookies with someone that you loved, you know, sometimes it just, things are different losses that, that surface things. And it's just, there's so many connections there. And, and, you know, for those that, um, especially for healthcare providers that maybe don't have, um, a similar perspective and religious views, um, and spirituality, you know, you mentioned giving kind of practical, helpful tips and tools yeah. for for healthcare professionals that maybe they're, they're kind of hitting that wall, that the burnt compassion fatigue, they're burned out. They're just exhausted. They're job searching. They're just, you know, they don't realize that they are grieving. Maybe just yeah. even they're grieving the fact that I'm not the health professional that I thought I was, you know, 
um, because they're, they're not taking care of themselves. What are some helpful tools or tips that you would advise them on? Um, kind of put in their toolbox. About that, Cause that's really what we do. And that's what the whole, uh, PGS professional degree solutions is about, is about what we offer, of course, to, um, these high loss environments, whether it would be a um, nursing home situation, hospice, oncology units, hospitals, um, funeral homes. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not just, we all think of hospice, I think, but it's much broader than that, oh, yeah. that are dealing with life and death on a daily basis. That um, what we offer is the, um, you know, we have lots of resources on the website that helps them to work through and acknowledge some of their, you know, that this is grief. Um, One of them is, would you mind speaking about your journal for healthcare professionals? Yes, we have a um, journal that is on there. Um, I think we just took it off to revise it, didn't we? No, it's on there. Okay, it is on there. Never mind. I just wanted to check with my um, my techie girl. It's <laughs> yeah, like she said, it's day by day. But so they're making revised versions, but yes, go ahead. Yeah, it's journal. a journal that a healthcare professional can download and utilize themselves where they're able to write maybe some memories down. They're able to write some goals down. They're able to process what they're dealing with on a daily basis. Um, so it gives them the initiative to do that. Um, and is that great? I, I misspoke. I thought you were talking about the grief workbook. Okay, so let's get that on so, there. Yeah, so oh, yeah, talk about the workbook, so journal. We'll all feedback on there, okay? <laughs> we have, um, a grief workbook that is available now. It's available for download or purchase. And it is a step, yes, to print. It's a step-by-step guide through um, grieving. I mean, it's one of the things that's really important to me is that with everything that I do, that we are educating on what grief is and what it looks like and what it feels like and some of the emotions you might go through, but also then here's some practical tools for how to deal with these feelings. So mm -hmm. in the grief workbook, every chapter has um, challenges that they can do. I call it challenges instead of homework just because people yeah. respond better to that word. <laughs> but it allows them to, you know, like one page has a blank face and you, you acknowledge whatever you're feeling at that moment by writing that in or, um, you know, um, using art therapy and using uh, music therapy in all of our counseling sessions. But the grief workbook is kind of like a synopsis of that, that an individual who may use that along with counseling, along with a group. Uh, a group or they may you know feel like I can't do those things but they would go through the workbook on their own yeah. um, so it allows them to actively participate in their own grief which is one of my big uh, key phrases yeah. that you're not just letting grief come and overtake you um, but that you're actively participating in the process and allowing yourself to work through whatever you're dealing with at the emotion. So it talks through, you know, guilt and shame and anger and, um, you know, some shame. of the shame. Oh, yeah. Man, for healthcare professionals, we feel this unnecessary guilt and shame for yeah. even 
or even grieving, even just small little grief and losses. Like we feel this shame of, I shouldn't do that. I'm the, I'm the professional. I'm helping other people. And then we feel this twisted thing. Do you see that play out in some of your work where people feel like I shouldn't feel bad. This is my job. And they minimize. But also I see that in the individual too, that, um, you know, we expect ourselves, whether we acknowledge it or not, we expect ourselves to be the way we were before just a little sad. And that's not, that's not realistic. The normal that you had is gone. A new normal is here. And you, the best thing you can do is create a new normal. So it doesn't erase what happened. In fact, you're always going to, you know, that's one thing that I'll always say, I am going to miss my son every day of my life. Um, I am going to, I still grieve you know, there's still things that come up that I have to grieve and work through. But for the most part, I feel like, you know, I have, I have hope, I have healing, um, you know, and I'm able to help others. And um, just helping people to acknowledge that, that, you know, um, it, your grief today is not going to look like it does today forever. So There will come a day, and what this is what I tell them, hope today may be that there will come a day when you can talk about your loved one and what happened without breaking down. Yeah. And to me, that's healing, you know? Yeah, and I think, too, we have what I would call the mythology of closure. Like, because people want to get to the space where it's done, right? Like, I'm done thinking about this or whatever. And that's just, that's just not true. You're, you're going to, you're going to grieve and think about this and, and it's the Our thing closure that, evolves. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jim. Yeah, and it's like there's something yeah. that will always trigger it, right? Like, so, like when I my dad died eight years ago, and I'll be playing with my kids, and I just remember how much my dad played with me, and all of a sudden I just kind of start to get sad or teared up or even joyous or whatever. But this idea that at some point this just ends and goes away, our culture wants closure, and it just it's a mythology as when it comes to grief. Absolutely, it just that's that is exactly right, and what I hope to help people see is, you know, they come, I feel like they come to me for counseling and they want 12 steps to get out of grief. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, that does not exist. Yeah. Kick the habit of grief. Right. All right. Yeah. And so we, you know, the first thing I want them to do is tell me about your loved one. Tell me about what happened. I want to hear their name. I want you to say their name. I want you to feel what you feel and to know that it's okay. We're not going, we're not trying to get rid of this. We're trying to be in it for a while in a place where you feel that it's safe. And yeah. then let's work on um, acknowledging, you know, what you're struggling with. And let's acknowledge, you know, these emotions that we're dealing with. And then hopefully, you know, we'll walk down this journey and then you're going to start feeling more equipped to handle just life in general, you know, that you're always going to have this loss with you. It's living while losing, you know, that's part of, that's just part of our life. We. So when you say that makes me, my mom is 40 years recovering alcoholic in AA and she never like, she'll, she's been 40 years. She's been through every step back and forth a thousand times, but she never says, Oh, I'm done. I'll hear her say, Oh, you know, this week I had to work a fifth step. This week I had to do this step. And I had like, you know, I have some days I have to go back to the first step. Like, it's not like, yeah, there are these steps, but the step is a ladder that you walk up and down, 
right? It's not just a, yeah. oh, I get to the top, I'm done and I'm good, but it's, and it's kind of the, the whole concept of having tools in a toolbox kind of thing, but where your, your steps are there for you to acknowledge which one you need today, not, oh, I get to get off the ladder sometime. Yeah, these are life tools. Yeah. They're not, we use it for this project, we put it away and we don't ever look at it again. We, this is our toolbox that we're exploring and, you know, each client that comes to me has a different toolbox. We don't use the same yeah. tools for every person because yeah. every person is different. Um, one client that I worked with, um, not this one's not grief related, but um, she's a young woman who loves to dance. So her um, challenge was to two days a week, shut your bedroom door, turn dance. the music on and just dance. Don't try to do a... Um, a routine don't try to remember just yeah. feel what you feel and move and yeah. she said that is the best prescription I have ever received and you know that can be though a grief or tool we find oh, out who yeah. are you and what do you need and what works for you and then we build on that and you know as far as you know we were talking about what we offer you know on the website we have that grief workbook, which I hope is just a starter for people. And then once they start figuring out how to make these connections, they'll be able to move past that for themselves. To um, engage and express, you know, engage uh, in their grief and yeah. express it in some way, maybe even through dancing and just that healing energy. Right, Absolutely. dancing is healing, you know, but that's it. I think as young people, we talk about what we like, but then when we're adults, we just go about business and we forget our hobbies. We forget yeah. who we are on the inside. We forget what makes us work and what doesn't make us work. You know, um, this is kind of a side note, but I so remember, um, you know, as a stay at home mom and um, I had two kids at home at the time and it was just when the internet, I mean, like computers started being in everybody's home and someone sent me through email this questionnaire what's your favorite color, you know, just things about me. Mm -hmm. I couldn't answer it. I can mm -hmm. tell you what my husband's was. I could tell you what my kids, everything about my kids. I realized that I kind of lost track, lost touch with Tara. And so I made it my um, goal at the time to get answers for every one of those questions. And since then I have just made sure that I don't lose connection with myself and everything I'm doing. Don't want to lose connection with myself when I'm out there helping others because this still matters. And if this isn't taken care of, there's nothing to give. Um, and we want, you know, our goal is to help organizations. And so, you know, it may look like, okay, our greed, our staff is just weary and worn and that we could come in and educate them on professional grief but also teach them some things while we're there. Um, and maybe it's that one time session just for everybody to exhale and go, okay, what I'm feeling is okay. And I'm not bad at my job. I just been through a lot. But then also we could work with the organization and offer a group support group at, yeah. at the workplace for six to eight weeks to really dig deep and help them work through not only you know their own issues but also the issues on the job 
so that you're helping your employees be their best and to also stay rooted in that business because they're not yeah, it helps with, can't helps with job it. attention. It yeah. helps with better performance, better patient okay. outcomes. It helps with, um, I mean, you have a, a healthier, you have a, a greater body of healthier staff because you, you and I know grief impacts your physical health. Oh my goodness. It well, takes it. Yeah, a on your body. It's yeah. stored in your body when they don't find ways to have that outlet and express it. And, you know, kind of going back to in the beginning when you talked about rejuvenating, restoring, recharging, you know, I've, I'm a visual person. And so what I, what I have learned, like you mentioned the dancing, whenever I'm able to use my creative outlets and that helps my healing. And so when we get to know ourselves better, like you said, you've got this list of things of, I need to know this about tear because when any grief happens, whether it be we're late for a meeting or one of our favorite patients dies or whatever the situation is that we're grieving, some type of loss that we know ourselves enough to know what little part of us, you know, imagine ourselves kind of like a breaker system. We've got all these little different electrical outlets. What part do I know about myself that I can not, not that it's going to be a quick fix, but that I know how to quickly access that outlet so I can charge something in so I can recharge that battery a little bit. Okay. My favorite color is green. Do I just literally need to see something green? You know, for myself, I love ice cream. Doesn't mean I need a whole tub, but maybe I need some social interaction. Is there somebody I can meet for ice cream? What are little things that are going to charge part of me? Is there music? Do I need to make sure that that next day before I enter my, enter my job, before I mask up for 12 hours that I sit in my car, you know, in the parking lot outside of the building for two minutes and listen to music. That's it. It doesn't take a lot of time. Yeah. You know, it's cool that, that I offer to people, it doesn't take a lot of time to do. So basically there's no excuses. Yeah. So what, you know, what do you, oh, sorry. Go because ahead. Because we're all busy. I get mm -hmm. busy. But, you know, one tool I'll, that I use personally, and I think it's very effective, is um, I would not turn the radio on ah, on the way to work mm -hmm. so that I could just get a clear headspace before I entered that work environment. And mm -hmm. that was helpful. But also at the end of the day, coming home in the quiet, and sometimes that involved tears, mm -hmm. sometimes that involved prayers. Sometimes that started with a little bit of a rant <laughs> and ended in a better place, but it allowed me to unpack the day, which is healthy for me, but then walk into my home and be the kind of mom that I want to be instead of carrying that baggage into the home and being short with my kids who have no clue what my day was like. Yeah, because you're really continue that cycle. Yeah, you're really just angry that the par that gets your medi medications out wasn't yeah. opening up all freaking day. And so you were late on all of your rounds. You were late passing meds. You were late doing everything. And just the grief, the loss of control, and you were pissed off and whatever it is, or or that somebody, maybe, maybe they had a lot of diarrhea that day and you kept having to go back to that room. And not that you're mad at that person, but just all the different changes and loss and frustrations that when we don't have that time to process we charge parts of ourselves. It manifests into behaviors that we have, that we don't mean to harm other people through our words, through our actions, or worse, what I find in healthcare workers is the disconnect. 
Yeah. Exactly. Because I think the worst thing about healthcare, at least it was for me, was that there's not enough time to do anything truly effective. So you have these goals and they're great, but then when you get there and you're working with one person and you've got two people waiting and you've got somebody telling you the next situation before you're done with the first situation. And so you just feel like you're being split into a thousand different ways, but yet this is something you really want to do well. So you walk away at the end of the day and you think, I don't know if I did anything well today. I tried. Mm -hmm. I great intentions. And then this you grieve. Not what I thought. Like you did do good. <laughs> then, right. you, then you grieve for thinking, oh, I lost a day where I could have been better at my job or better self. And then it continues a cycle because what would you speak for a moment of what you notice when health, what happens when healthcare professionals don't take those small moments to work on their grief and not just when they come to you, they're exhausted, but what do you notice is kind of a pattern that maybe carries out in their work and how that impacts their future career and their ability to be a good healthcare worker. When they don't, when they're in denial, they shove it under the rug. What, what are some of the negative outcomes that you see happen when they don't, you know, talk to people like you or don't process it or express it in some way on their own? Um, they become sick. They, you know, can, I mean, they'll have problems at home because they're carrying it home, have problems in their marriage, they're losing their quality of life, and they will become sick at some, some way or another. And, you know, I believe that if you don't deal with it and you try to stuff it, it's going to come out in one way or another, mm -hmm. whether it comes out in a heart attack that comes out in a nervous breakdown. Our bodies were created to grieve. Our bodies were created to um, go through this process. So when we don't go through the process, then we are stopping our body from doing what it was designed to do. And if you just keep all that crud, so to speak, within mm -hmm. yourself, eventually your body is going to fight back. Um, and I think that is sad you know I think it's sad and it's I know that we had a um the last place I worked they had a healthcare clinic attached to it and the nurse from the healthcare clinic said your staff is sicker than your residents mm -hmm. and you know as as nursing staff as medical providers you know so much of their job is looking to create equilibrium and lab values and all of these things. But when we don't grieve, our entire body RNA system isn't able to maintain equilibrium on how the connection between our mind, body, spirit, and whether that's in a religious view or just our connection with, without, with, with others, with our environment, with other people. If we don't grieve, we can't maintain homeostasis and how we're designed to freaking live because we're also designed, our bodies know how to die peacefully. We, right. we humans oftentimes get in the way. And, and some yeah. of that's with great, awesome medical advances. So I'm not knocking when we interfere with natural dying process. But I mean, when we aren't able to acknowledge and participate in what should be a natural grieving process, when we don't give ourselves or others that permission to be with our grief, 
Right. We can't maintain that homeostasis. And then we get sick, whether that be physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we become ill. And so I'm just so thankful that there's people like you, Tara, out there trying to really hone into those aspects of whatever, quote, lab value or healing value or grief, you know, where we're at on that grief journey. So we can maintain that homeostasis. And like you said, why are we doing this if we're not enjoying our life? Why are we? Yeah. And what I want to say to employers and organizations is let's stop this unhealthy cycle that is spinning out of control Yes. where we're burning through employees because so much of being is being asked of them. Let's stop it. And Mm -hmm. let's let a company like ours come in and help your staff to deal with what they're dealing with. And yeah, it might take, you know, an hour for a couple of weeks or whatever, but they're going to be able to give better care Mm -hmm. and they're going to stay at their jobs. And so you're going to get more from your staff in the long run. Um, The initial investment is worth the payout, not only financially, but for your time on investment. Yeah, well, I think a lot of administrators really do care, but they Mm -hmm. just can't stop things long enough to provide the one-on-one counseling for their employers. So allow us to do that. Allow us Mm -hmm. to help you help them. And, you know, also another area is if you have a staff that commits suicide or um, you have a staff member that's been murdered or you know, one of those high traumatic events that it's not just a death of a coworker, but it's traumatic for the entire staff and they're carrying that around. So Mm -hmm. let's stop ignoring it and, you know, allow, you know, us to come in and debrief and help them deal with their grief so that everybody can move on in a healthy way. Um, because those things affect everybody. And I think the, the um, automatic response is it'll go away. You know, if we just ignore yeah. it, it'll go away. How's that work? It doesn't work. <laughs> then, what, then what happens, Tara, tell us, what happens when we try to ignore it and we think it'll go away? What happens to the, to the healthcare workers and the healthcare system? Well, I think we all get in this negative thing, into this negative cycle where <laughs> our employers are sick our employees are sick, excuse me, and they're exhausted and they're short. And so we start having conflicts in the workplace. We um, are not getting the adequate, what we hope to accomplish in these visits, you know, especially when you're dealing with end of life. And um, I kind of, think, oh, sorry. Go no, go ahead. I, I was just going to say it, it kind of, when we don't, acknowledge and work through grief or be present, even just for that 30 seconds, I feel like it helps grow toxic work environments because it's other ways to shut down that connection, that team approach, that shared vision. And a lot of people in healthcare, I feel like, you know, the people on the front lines oftentimes don't have any power in making the decisions that impacts the work that they do, whether it yeah. be the boxes they check, whether it be how their days ran or, or what the protocols are. And so trying to really integrate, you know, including 
that because otherwise then you're dealing with that sequential grief of feeling like loss of control. And so even, you know, to kind of clarify, so other healthcare professionals that may be listening, that it's not just coming to you to deal with the, the loss of people who maybe have died, but just all the different losses throughout their professional careers and how to process that and the frustration and the anger. Yeah. Because I have, oh man, I have been there, the anger that I, and I never thought I was an angry person. You know, I, I've, I would feel guilt and shame for thinking that I had anger because I never outwardly expressed anger. But when it, when things really started happening and changing and just the anger of loss of control, when people don't maybe value or want to invest in what, like you said, you just know is a need for us to be a healthier provider, a healthier system, a healthier community, a healthier workplace, a healthier neighborhood, a healthier, you know, even if you're the outsider going into a building and providing care for one patient there, just that ripple effect that, that you're yeah, trying to incorporate. Yeah, you want a positive ripple effect. Yes. And anger is not a bad thing. Anger is a natural emotion, but you have to know where to, um, where to put it in a positive direction to deal with mm -hmm. it instead of ignoring it or feeling bad about it. And, you know, we also want employers to reach out to us if they have a staff member who is in the middle of a crisis where that just needs that, you know, one-on-one -on -one just to help that person out. Because I do believe that the care is there, but the time is not. And mm -hmm. people just don't know how to deal with it. They're afraid to tap into it too much. And, and it is my, I think one of the things I'm really passionate about is that we all have, maybe that wasn't the best wording, but take your time. Passion drives us. Yeah. So if you can help your staff stay connected to their passion, why they got into healthcare, then it's golden. But we can't stay in that sweet spot. So one of the things that I feel like has been one of the greatest things that um, people have allowed me to do is do the blessing of the hands and to talk about how important what they're doing is, what the special calling that is on their lives that they have been created to do to take these hands that are used for so many things and use that to care for another person. And it's more about the conversation that happens prior to the blessing of right. hands. Yeah. I think that that gets missed because I've had people say, well, I want you to do a blessing of the hands, but could you do it like in five minutes or could you just go down the line? Well, no, because then that that's like me passing them a cookie. Thanks, <laughs> but whatever, right? It's the conversation that happens before that sets the stage that says you matter. You matter. What you're doing matters. You have a ripple in the water and we need you. We need your passion, your drive. And I want you to remember, why did you get into this line of work mm -hmm. and stay in that headspace so that when you enter that room with that patient, that you can do that and do it well. I'm absolutely, you know, even as Jim and I had, were beginning to kind of brainstorm, you know, several years ago about 
this kind of evolving vision of what matters most. It was, you know, how to connect, support, and learn about people's passions and talents. Because when we are allowed that space and permission to utilize a gifts, a calling, just something we enjoy, you know, pleasure, we can also better grieve. And, you know, something that as healthcare workers, you know, as part of a protective mechanism, you know, everything in life is about moderation. It's okay to detach at times. It's okay to um, kind of keep ourselves distant. Everything's in moderation. Too much of that is not good. Too little of it is not good. But our, our brains and our, you know, neurologically, when we constantly prevent ourselves from feeling, when we avoid feeling that discomfort, that pain, that grief, that I don't want to connect because I don't want to deal with being sad or, or disappointed or whatever undesired state, our brain then also struggles being able to feel joy and pleasure and yeah. connection. And so we do ourselves such a disservice by not allowing ourselves to be sure. present with our grief. You know, it, it, we can't, we can't feel joy unless we know, how do we know what joy is if we don't know what unjoy is not being numb, but pain or sadness, and it doesn't have to be huge, but how do we keep ourselves within that journey, our grief as we navigate our future? You know, we talked earlier before today's recording of seeing our grief journey kind of like driving a car and the maintenance. And I'd love for you to kind of use that analogy for healthcare providers seeing themselves as almost this vehicle for change and driving forward and caring for people. And how, how do they keep how do they keep the, the car going? Well, a simple illustration that people will understand is we would never expect to get in our car and just keep driving day in and day out, keep driving for miles and miles and miles. We know realistically we have to put gas in it. We have to change the oil. We have to, you know, rotate the tires. And if we don't, we know it's going to break down. Mm-hmm. And then whose fault is that? Right. Our fault, right? Okay. So Well, yeah. with our human body, oh, go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry, Jim. No, no, you keep going and I'll come to it because you're, you're saying something that there's a thing that I want you to just like tag onto it, but you keep going. Yes. Yeah. So as our human body is the same way, you know, we have to be able to take care of us if we want to keep going. We can't just keep pressing past exhaustion for that next thing. Um, I used to work with a nurse who'd say, I, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah. And although it was funny, it was funny in the moment. And I think that's terrible. That is terrible because you are going to die sooner. You're going to get that nap a lot sooner than you expect. Yeah. That attitude because that's great and all. And our culture, I think, um, promotes pride. Yeah. You get a little pride, a little pat on the back because you're the person that goes, goes, goes and doesn't need rest. I never take Sorry. vacation days. Like yeah. we pride that in this. Yeah. But if you're an alcoholic, it's shame. If you're a workaholic, you can be proud of it, right? That's right. And, you know, it's just ignorance on our part because you have got, you are the only person that will do it and you have to take care of you. You have to eat well, sleep well, get rest. I mean, 
you know, me being um, faith is a big deal to me. And so I always relate back to that, that when God created us, he, you know, ordained rest to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And that's because he created the body. He knew that we had to have it. So, you know, saying that you don't need it or you'll sleep when, I mean, that's just ignorance. That's like saying, I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive it to California and I'm not going to stop at all for anything. I'm not going to stop for gas. I'm not going to stop for anything. <laughs> right? Ridiculous. That's right. just ignorant. Well, that's like trying to drive to close that grief. I'm going to be done with it and keep driving. And then you break down yeah. or something gives, even if you don't run into a building or your tire doesn't go flat right away it does in some area of your life. And that's usually- Oh yeah, I mean, you can get away with this stuff for a little while, but you're not gonna win in the end. You're playing a game, you'll never win. And I think that as grief goes, boundaries go right along with it. Because in order to grieve healthily, you have to have boundaries in place for yourself that allow you to feel what you feel, to get what you need. And people think that is selfishness, but it's not. It is um, being responsible. That is saying that right now I need these things more than other people need me. You matter, which means I matter. Yeah. You know, I remember. Let me me ask you this because it kind of goes along along with that. So I have come to you right now and I am going to start a brand new healthcare facility. And I say, Tara, I want you, and this, obviously you could probably spend hours on this. So in a few minutes, what does that look like? Like Tara, I just want you to set this up so that all we will have a, our healthy healthcare workers. What does that look like to you? Well, I think that um, scheduling, I mean, if you're looking at just my piece of the puzzle, which I'm assuming um, for that grief is to schedule these um seminars, webinars, or whatever, probably quarterly, or maybe even just, yeah, on a routine basis, that because you're going, this is something that's going to be evolving, and it's a year-long problem, it's not just a one-time problem, so you can't just have us come in that one time and speak, and then never again for 10 years, you know, it's, because that grief is going to change, but to Offer that to your staff on some sort of regular cycle is what is going to help them stay healthy and strong. And maybe they don't need it every single time, but somebody's going to need it every time. And so, and to acknowledge, I believe if you take care of your people, they'll take care of you. So so now you come in and you help us set up that, but I'm the administrator and you're going to be leaving. So what, so, so what do I, so I'm the administrator now. So Tara, what do I need? What do I need to look for? What do I do so that on a day-to-day basis, we can make sure can we're- Help, help we're, your staff grieve. Yeah. What, well, what, are, think, what are those things? I think for you to look for people who are struggling, have an open door policy where people feel like they're safe to come to you and um, express what their challenges are. excuse me, and to know that you know that this is a hard job. Yeah. Acknowledge that this is a hard job, that you acknowledge that there's grief involved and that you allow them to have a space to grieve 
whether that be that they have um, like a um, procession, you know, um, you can put things in place that don't take a lot of time away from the day to day, but they're still acknowledging to the staff, hey, we acknowledge these deaths and we're allowing you to acknowledge it too. And if you find that you're in a position where you're feeling like you um, can't anymore, you know, you're exhausted and then we're gonna get you the help that you need, whether it means that we have somebody here on staff that can sit with you and talk or whether we get you outside help. But to notice um, the staff that um, are short, meaning they're um, not high irritable. irritable. Uh, irritable. <laughs> that irritability is definitely a sign mm -hmm. that they're feeling like they can't, they don't have a handle on things, um, that they are, you know, we wear how we feel. So when they yeah. look exhausted, they probably are exhausted. And I could walk, you know, when I was a chaplain in the nursing home, I could walk down the hall and I could pick out who was struggling. Mm -hmm. And I would just go over to them and say, hey, you know, start a conversation. And lo and behold, usually it would come out, you know, what was the real deal here. And so, you know, a um, supervisor can do that as well. Um, and maybe just to have their own educational program or um, mm -hmm. I think part of it is providing the education, providing the space for them to have these feelings having some sort of um, event that acknowledges that, whatever that looks like, even if it's a yearly memorial, that's something. But then also having that, we appreciate you element because yeah. you're connecting them back to their purpose. And that feels like such a big overhaul, but it's not. Yeah. You know, just telling somebody, you know what? I am so glad you're here. That costs no money. Mm -hmm. It's just five seconds. And part of that, you know, to piggyback that five seconds is going back to kind of the first thing you you did say to answer Jim's question, which was acknowledging the grief. I think just acknowledging it, even as new hires, you know, letting them know that you've joined a team and we're going to go through losses and we're various types of grief together as a healthcare team. Just even using the word naming, this is grief. Even, even adding awesome new employees or doctors to the team, even that in itself, even though it's a good thing, there's still a grief involved. It's a change. It's a loss of what that um, network or energy flow was with what you guys were doing beforehand. And there's changes, just acknowledging there's grief and helping people recognize, oh, this is grief. Like Jim and I always talk about acknowledging the daily griefs. And so it sounds like that's something that your journal and workbook can really help some of these um, healthcare professionals do. And so- Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I was a part of, when I worked at that long-term care facility, I was a part of the new employee orientation because of that reason. And I yeah. would say, we do this protocol, but it allowed me to educate them a little bit on why. And I would watch around the room and these healthcare professionals who have usually worked at other facilities, would all do a deep sigh of relief. Oh, I'm so glad somebody's doing that. Yeah. And that just goes to speak to how they need Validating. it. They need it. And well, it and everything that you're saying, 
so I'm a big sports fan, but as you're talking, I'm going, oh, this is in sports. Like if a new coach comes in, they talk about, they have to create a culture. Yeah. And so that's exactly what you're talking about. Not in sports terms, but you are, this is like any culture has its norms, right? Yeah. So your norms can be, we all go hide in our spaces and we burn out or the norms, you create a culture that says it is okay to grieve here. It is okay to feel pain and anger and all that stuff. It is not okay to take that out on your residents, yeah. your patients, all that other people, but it's, you're simply, it's creating the culture. Yeah, to, exactly. to, grieve, to grieve well. And that's kind of what we've talked about is when we can grieve well, we can live well. Thus, we can also be more likely to die well because we Amen. grieve well. Yeah. It's all the practice, you know, it's, it's, it's practicing our grief where it doesn't have, you know, the longer we put it off, it becomes bigger and more toxic and complicated and messy and painful. And so being able to hold that space within ourselves, with others, those that you work with, your clients, being able to be, to, to feel that discomfort in a safe way and a way that we're giving ourselves permission where we're, you know, especially with healthcare workers that, that they're not weak for doing this. They're not weak for acknowledging like, you know, I'm, I'm grieving. I didn't think I grieved. I've, I've been a seasoned nurse for 30 years. I'm, I'm not burned out. Well, what does that look like? And even if like grieving, burning out, that in itself is a whole other like grief within a grief ball. And yeah. so I'm, I'm excited to help spread the word about, about this journey, because I know, like you said, you've been wanting to do this for like 20 years. You just didn't know what it was. And I think that's, for a lot of people in these helping professions, we, we see the outcome of what our vision is of if we could all be a little, have a little more peace, some joy, but also feel some joy and peace and that hope for tomorrow, that hope for the future, even in the midst of loss and grief. And yeah, um, I, re I remember a, one of those crossroads uh, for myself was when I very first moved to um, Newburgh, we had lived in Bedford, Indiana, three hours you know, north of here. And we moved and um, I was driving down the Lloyd's Expressway and I had this thought and I thought it was just genius. You know, <laughs> I made this big smile went across my face and I'm like, I am brilliant. You know, <laughs> I was driving and I look in my car and I've got these sweet three little kids in the back seat, right? And I'm on, I'm on my way to a MOPS program, which is a Mothers of Preschoolers. And we had only lived in the area just a few months. And I thought, none of these ladies know me. They don't know that I am the grieving mom. You know, they don't look at me with pity like those that did in Bedford. Um, I can start over. I can start fresh. Nobody has to know. I can hide this part of me and pretend that we are whole and we got it all together right hmm. and as soon as it came out of my mouth i heard a voice that said that i and i believe it was the lord that said then i can't use you hmm. and so i just melted into the truth and thought okay mm -hmm. you know i don't have a choice and that has been my passion is i have to be able to tell my story yeah. I have to be able to share my hurt so that other people feel that they have a safe place to share theirs. Right. Um, but I relate to you 
that I have weak moments, that I have fall apart moments, but I also have joy and hope and healing. And so, you know, we can get through this, your time. This is your time of grief, but we can, you know, I'm willing to sit with you in this pain and let's acknowledge this and let's work through this together. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that because I think so many professionals, they do that. They turn their car off. They walk into the office and whoop, all my grief, all my pain is gone. And of course we, we can't just carry around on, on our shoulders and, you know, be talking about it with our coworkers and, and our patients that we're caring for, but we have to find a way to process it and to express it. I, those are kind of two takeaways that I've, that I've gathered from you. We've got to find a way to acknowledge, process, and express it in some way so it doesn't consume and eat us, literally, and destroy our health. And there's boundaries for that. Like, yeah. I, you know, I will tell that healthcare professionals, it's okay if you're watching somebody die and you have an emotion and a tear goes down your face. That is human. You're human. That's okay. The family will actually appreciate that. But it's not okay if you fall apart and the family is consolling you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Them, it's yeah. not about you. So that's the healthy boundary. Is this about you or is it about mm -hmm. them? So yep. in a space where I'm having somebody have a difficult time sharing their heart with me, then I can pull out a piece of myself, not my whole story, mm -hmm. but a piece of myself that they can go, oh, Okay. I'm human. Yeah. Help, help them, help them be human. Yeah. I mean, Cause I feel like what qualifies me is not my credentials. It's my experience. My yeah. human experience qualifies me so much more than what my credentials do. Right. Mm. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, my background is not in the medical field whatsoever, but what I'm hearing and seeing in our conversation is just that we just need to live authentically. Amen. You know, and just, and let others live authentically mm -hmm. in front of us and to have and, grace. Yes. And embracing and accepting the fact that there's going to be risks of pain and disappointments, mm -hmm. but that's the only way that we can feel joy and true fulfillment is when we're true to ourselves. So speak, going back to speaking that truth, Tara, um, yeah. Thank you, ladies, so much. I know, Sabrina, you, I, no one can see you all, um, but just sitting there kind of being that support system of saying, you know what? This burger tastes really good. Let's make a business out of it. <laughs> and we just appreciate you guys and the ripples that you are making here and the Evansville community. And so, Tara, the contact information will be in the show notes, but yes. um, for, for those that are listening or reading transcripts, Tell us um, a quick way to reach you, um, to contact you, to, if they want to pull you into their organization or maybe some support groups or one-on-one -on -one counseling or to check out your awesome uh, journal or, or workbook. Um, our website is professionalgriefsolutions.com. So you awesome. can find all that you need there and you can contact us there. And the phone number is 812-573-7516. Yes. And you can also find Professional Group Solutions on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and um, YouTube, correct? That's correct. And you could email us if that's the way that you prefer, uh, professionalgriefsolutions at gmail.com. 
Awesome. Well, thank you, Tara and Sabrina. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting people know it is okay to grieve and you will actually feel a little more joy in your life if you do let yourself. And it's okay for healthcare workers to grieve too. Thanks so part much. Of the job. It's part of the job description. Yeah. I mean, it should be at least. Yes, that it is part of your job to grieve. I, yes. Well said. I think that should be your next book title. <laughs> it's your job to grieve. Oh, oh yes. I should yeah. write it down. I love it. All right. Yeah. We'll take it. We'll do it. I, I was a witness. All right. Um, we'll copyright that right here on this recording. Okay. <laughs> um, but again, thank you, ladies, and we'll be in touch. All right. You heard it from the professional. It is your job to grieve so you can be the best professional neighbor friend you name it after after we play a song that sabrina herself wrote and played um we've got some extra snippets of things that our conversation continued for yet maybe quite a while after the initial podcast but do please enjoy the song linger it was originally wrote for those who lost a loved one to cancer while she worked with the Gildas Club.
truths at our fingertips and we can piece those truths together and make it, um, it is a beautiful thing. Death is not the enemy. Death is part of life and it can be just as beautiful as the beginning of life. So just helping, that's what I feel like the memory book is helping families to do is to make the most of this piece of the journey so that they can all have a healthy dying experience together. And, you know, just letting them know that their loved one is going to grieve their own death. And, you know, just like you said, normalizing it. And um, we, we used to do that. People, we used to be at the bedside of our loved ones and we didn't have to have books back then to write down right. because we were talking and we were experiencing it. But now we've, you know, detached. Um, usually we're someone else is caring for our loved ones. You know, that number is increasing in our society rather than directly from ourselves. And sometimes there's just certain situations. There's not a right or wrong, but that's just changes yeah, that are happening. From the yeah. uncomfortable aspects of death. You know, and, we're used to people lived on farms and you've seen life and death every day. Yeah. So children grew up understanding that, you know, calves are born, cows will die, you know, mm -hmm. and they relate that to their lives and it just becomes part of. Even in my, my Irish Catholic ancestry, like you had a room, you had a wake yes. and there was a room, there was a specific room in your house. It was just for that wake. Like that was somebody always, they didn't want the, I don't know, the soul or whatever to be alone. So somebody always sat with, uh, sat with the body. And as a matter of fact, my, my grandfather, I guess, used to tell this story. I had, my mom had, her dad had like 10 siblings or whatever in Irish Catholic and they like their drink, right? They like to drink. So they're having the wake and I forgot, but for, I can't remember the story exactly, but for some reason they had to take the body out of the coffin and put it someplace. So whoever was sitting with the body was all drunk and he just got right in the coffin and passed out and went to sleep. <laughs> But there's all this, so there's all this, like, but it's like what we're talking about. There's all these stories of back in the day when there was this direct connection yeah. Yeah. to the body. It wasn't like, well, let, and granted, we need professionals, right? Professionals help us get Absolutely. through all this stuff. So we don't want to all cope by getting drunk and passing out in coffins. But, but, yeah. but still, like, up, until, up until just, you know, for a zillion years from the time the world started until, uh, until consumerism got a hold of everything, like, you it was normal for us to to take care of the bodies you know yeah. and to, yeah. to do all this stuff and to sit with it and it was just like that's what you did but see and there's also humor in dying right that's exactly, right. exactly. That's yeah. you know i try to tell families it, be the family you've always been because that's what your loved one will want so if you've always been loud and boisterous and telling jokes and stuff do that that's what they're going to want now, if they've been quiet and reserved and they like that, then yes, honor that. But, you know, it's okay to be sitting there and be telling stories. In fact, it's wonderful, you know? And I think that one thing that's really been disheartening to me is um, as a chaplain, I get invited to do a lot of funerals and people want less and less and less. And mm -hmm. although I, of course, want to give whatever I can give, um, I'm honored to be a part of that process, but I want to scream, you need more than this. You just don't know it, but you yeah. need more than this. You know, you yeah. need to have mm -hmm. your family around. You need to see the body. You need to grieve yeah. and honor your loved one. And, mm -hmm. um, 
I just think that that's going to continue to be a trend. And now that we've gone through COVID together, where people mm -hmm. haven't even been able to have a funeral at all, or it's been online, I fear we'll never go back. Yeah. You it's know, that's a culture of self-protection. Yeah, which, you know? which is only protecting us from living life to the fullest and feeling joy and happiness and connected to other people. That's all it's truly yeah. protecting us from. It's, it's a lie. <laughs> it's not well, protecting like kind of our mission and what what connected us and why to do this is we want to create a culture in Evansville where that's not the reality. That's not yeah. the truth. That's not like, the story. That's like, not this community. Right. But when and that's why we're we're doing this and trying to, you know, find everybody that we can that wants that because it's going to take all of us to yes, it is. completely transform. You know, that's that's how our culture is not just Evansville, that's our culture, right? But mm -hmm. how do we transform it so that Evansville is a place where we we want to die? Right. Yeah. Like it's okay to it's the culture. Yeah. That's that you do it by having these conversations and by doing what you're doing. I believe that. I mean, you know, and one of the things I did a lot at the nursing home was going back to people who their families tried to protect them by not allowing them to be a part of the funeral process. And then as being the person who's there to help them emotionally and spiritually, we would have to go back and mm -hmm. find ways to have a memorial with them because they didn't get it. Yeah, I, you know, even disclosing, so my father died in April and, you know, being raised Catholic, both sides of the family are pretty large and oh. FYI, my battery might die. And if it does, I love you guys. We <laughs> might just have to- Hey, um, it's okay, death is a part of life. Death happens, <laughs> death happens, right? We'll just find a way to recharge ourselves and plug it in. <laughs> Um, but you know, my, my father died in April and it was just wham, bam, you know, he died on Holy Thursday. So we couldn't do the funeral until that Monday. As soon as, you know, as soon as we could da, 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 that, you know, planes went in, but we weren't invited to do that process, you know, really encouraging my mom. Don't rush to make decisions, not being able to, she thought she was protecting us. And so I have to remind myself of that because my, my grief is not the same as if I could have been there with her, if we could have taken our time, we could have thought more creatively of maybe what would have helped us all grieve for family members. You know, I already have in the works of making sure that something is, that we do something publicly in some form, not because, and he would never want attention, but there were a lot of people that reached out to me afterwards because they were grieving him even though they didn't even realize the connection that they had, but just they couldn't process it. And sometimes people need that closure, even if it's some people are finding healing, being able to, to join the online funerals, right. you know, but we were right as COVID <clears throat> and the funeral industry was being impacted by COVID, you know? So we were kind of in that very beginning of like people trying to figure out things. Like if you would have died now, um, you know, as we're in December, things would have been very differently. I think sure. we would have done the funeral process so differently. So even just like that little part of being in the beginning of the pandemic, those people that lost someone is very different than who are losing someone six to nine right. months later in the pandemic. Um, but also healthcare workers, how they were grieving during those times and their inability to process, you know, some family members being fearful to come and visit because of the pandemic so they can't see each other or she wasn't wearing a mask they were wearing a mask don't touch my kid you know all these separations and that in itself causes grief and discord when you can't even focus on what matters most of preparing 
for changes and losses to happen. And so absolutely, all the more reason we'll need um, your guys' services. I think your, your need is definitely increasing. And our mission is to help support and get that word out, even finding ways to help promote you guys so you can get your books published because I know those words need to be read and heard and felt. Um, and having worked in a dementia care facility, like I've, <laughs> if we do get a bomb of money dropped on us, I'm going to figure out how we can get you guys into every healthcare facility, at uh, least, at least dementia care. Cause that's where my heart oh, is. Yeah. But okay. like we need well, my, my all, all those people, all those people need to like, all those people need to, they, the people working in those places. Like, I just think of like all the bad relationships that are going on without grief in those places. And then throw grief on top of that. Yeah. <laughs> That's like there's a whole a whole bomb there that could be if we could navigate all that stuff, do better in the grief part. Maybe the rest of it would, you know, because for grief you have to have safe spaces. So yeah. if I feel safe now, my co-employee, my coworker that I'm not getting along with that has nothing to do with grief. Oh, maybe yeah. I can we can talk about that one too. Right. Right. Just like those, it's just how unhealthy those places are and how much they need professionals to to come in. Oh, yeah, we're going to get plugged in. How I got to plug this in because so help me if this dies before it can download and we lose it. I will. You talk about some grief. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, when losing my job, I was not allowed. You know, I didn't know that was I mean, let's be real. I, I sensed it for months. But when that happened, I wasn't allowed. I'm still not allowed to reach out to those people that I had worked with some for a couple of years. And I think about them. There is a young man in Boonville that he crosses my mind and I so badly want to run into him. <laughs> like yeah, I would I say that as a professional because I, I can't reach out to him. And I know that where our relationship, where our therapeutic relationship was, I should say, um, it just ended. We were making great progress and I can't reach out to him. And that, that's probably been the hardest part of, you know, losing a job or when your career changes or, or life situations, when you can't contact that person. And because it would, I could violate my code of ethics, lose my license. And, uh, and then that in itself has its own grief of, am I putting my needs above my above the needs of my clients, you know, that in itself has its own. Sure it does. I think I do better. I, I think I do better with getting them to the finish line and they die and you deal with that grief than to not, oh, to it just sure. abruptly stop and you don't know what happened. And, you yeah, know, they think they're supposed to be at their house or their yeah, house the next day. And then they just get a phone call that, She's no longer with us. Right. And then feeling like that's what I feel like with my residents. I'm thinking they think I just left yeah. without saying goodbye, without oh. anything. And that makes me sad. And I've been making like cards and just dropping them off. And I don't even really sign my name. I just put a message in it. But it allows me to do something to feel like I'm still loving on them in any yeah. way that I can without violating any rules, so to speak. Yeah. you know but it's it is hard and you know you kind of have to get over that feeling of and it's you know yeah you, you don't want to slam you know you want to say professional you want to say pc yeah. you don't want to slander you don't want to do those things and i don't want to make it about me it's not exactly. about me it's about them 
Exactly. Like there's no place in place. <laughs> yeah. But we had a relationship and mm -hmm. some of them really had comfort in the fact that I would be there when they were dying because of what we talked about before and not there. And so it's kind of stinks, but yeah. And you mentioned earlier, you know, trying to use some of that, that grief and anger and leaning, you know, using it to lean into your passion. I know that's been something Jim and I have talked about, you know, some of these entrepreneurs and artists taking some of these challenges in their life, even, you know, the grief that you've had and pouring it into your business, pouring it into the ripples right. in the water that we're doing. And that's just, yeah, I feel like we could talk for, for hours. I I'm, I'm just going to do like a 12 hour podcast, just sitting here talking. <laughs> right. I just feel like I'm trying to focus on helping in a different way, yeah, like helping okay. with my passion just from a different place. Yeah. And this is what God called me to. So it'll be okay. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. Because we're going to acknowledge our grief. Yeah. We're going to care for ourselves so we can help other people on their journey too. Right. Oh, well, Tara, we'll, we'll definitely have you back. I don't know when, maybe quarterly, six months, okay. annually, we'll, we'll figure it out. But